You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Hey, good morning. Good to see uh, you guys today. Good to be with you as well. Um, We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 22. We're continuing in our series on Hebrews. If you haven't seen seen Pat Boyle's sermon from last week, go back and listen to that. It's fantastic. He does a great job bringing us back into the book of Hebrews, introing uh, chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, um, and just kind of prepping us for this week. Um, So please go back and listen to that if you haven't. Um, So we're going to work through, Pat worked through the first seven verses last week. We're going to deal with the... uh, were, which and those dealt with the first eleven or so chapters of the book of Genesis. So we've got the the, the author of Hebrews here is um, talking about faithful what faith looks like and faithful people throughout biblical history. So he the, the author is working through the book of Genesis and kind of bringing us up to speed on kind of the history of the patriarchs. Pat worked through the first um, seven verses of Hebrews eleven, which is the first eleven or so chapters of Genesis. Today we're going to tackle verses uh, Hebrews eleven eight through twenty two, and we are going to be dealing with the rest of Genesis chapters twelve through fifty. We're going to cover a ton of ground, um, and I, what I want to do today is follow very closely the argument of the author of Hebrews here. This is kind of a sermon in the way that he's presenting it. I want to follow that very closely and follow his arguments. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look back into our history and we're going to look um, and, and we're going to see how that informs and affects our future. So we're going to look back and then we're going to look forward. And that's kind of how we'll generally divide the time today. So uh, the, the sermon title today is looking back in faithfulness and looking forward in hope or looking back at faithfulness and looking forward in hope. So we'll see um, the we'll kind of divide our time in that way. So let's dive right on in. Um, let me pray for our time, and then we will uh, we'll dive right into the text and see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and the way that it is living and active, that it, um, that it rebukes, that it in- encourages, that it sharpens us. I pray that that would be the case this morning, that we would be faithful as we look to you, and we pray, I pray that we would be faithful in this time, that it would be for your glory and for our good. So pray that the Spirit would would speak through me, would interpret the text, and would speak to your people um, and do your work. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So here we go. So verse 8. I'll I'll read verses 8 through 12. We're going to talk about looking back, and um, and the first section under this one will be living by faith. Verses 8 through 12, living by faith. So verse 8, let's read with me here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we'll see verses 8 through 11 that we just read through here. Um, That relates back to Genesis 12 through 17. If you want to go back and read through some of that in your devotional studies this week, we can catch up on that. But the whole idea here, living by faith, verses 8 through 12, we see in verse 8 that faith leads to obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith. 
Then we see there's obedience in the calling that God called Abraham and he went. And this is, say, for example, like the opposite of Jonah. Jonah would be a, a different example of this and from the other perspective that God called Jonah and Jonah fled in the opposite direction. He called Jonah to Nineveh and Jonah fled out to Tarshish and went down and away from the Lord. There's a lot of cool language in that. But we see obedience in the calling that God calls and Abraham goes. We also see obedience in the promise. We see um, the, a, a commentator that I read here was, had some really good quotes. It says, the promise isn't the incentive to obey. It's the reward for faithful obedience. So when we talk about obedience, when we're talking about obeying the Lord and following him, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to obey so I can get more stuff from God. We see that, that, the, that the promise is the reward for faithful obedience. The, the promise is something that draws us to the Lord, that lets us faithfully relate to him, and that we can follow him faithfully in that. And then also, um, another good quote on this from F.F. Bruce is, for Abraham, the promise of God was as substantial as its realizations. We see, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, that Abraham died never seeing the fulfillment of his promise. He walked through the land of Canaan, he walked through the promised land, and he dwelled there for a time, but he never saw the complete fulfillment of all the promises of God that God made for him. He never saw those things. But for him that because of his faith, because of Abraham's substantial faith in the Lord, the promise itself was as substantial as the realization of that promise. For him, it was as real as being able to see all of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. For him, the promise of the Lord, the trustworthiness of God, was as substantial as being able to live and inhabit the promised land himself. So we see obedience in the calling, we see obedience in the promise, and we see faith in the inheritance that Abraham has a hope of a bright future in the realization of those promises. That we see Abraham is faithful in the way that he follows and relates to the Lord. But I, I want to ask a kind of a question here and kind of tease out a concept. How do you leave your home behind and set out not knowing where you're going? How do you do that? What do you, how do you know which way to, which path to take? Which fork in the road to take? How do you know where you're going, and how do you know that you're going to arrive there when you do? Well, you have to trust the one that you're following. You have to trust the one that you're following. So with Abraham, he left his home not knowing where he was going, but he knew who he was following. And I think it's the same thing with missionaries. Um, Even with the internet and researching everything um, about a culture and where you're going to be going and where you feel called to go, you can't know every aspect of where you're going. You can't know everything about life and where you're headed. But you have to trust the one who is calling you. The same thing with marriage. You can't know everything that God has for you in marriage. There's no possible way that even the best premarital counseling can't go through with a microscope and pick apart every part of your life and tell you everything that's going to be happening in your marriage. You can't know that. But what you can do is you can know your spouse and you can know the God who is uniting you. And you can trust in that and say, no matter what happens, we're going to be through this in thick and thin. The same thing... Um, changing careers, moving to a new city, going to a new school, all these other things. We can't know everything that's going to be happening in the future, but we can trust the God who does. We can trust the God who's faithful and who calls us out, and that's where faith interacts with obedience. So by faith, Abraham set out, not knowing where he was going, but he knew the God who called him. So verses 9, we see that he lived in the land in a temporary dwelling in tents, Um, while longing for a heavenly city. 
We'll see more, more detail in the heavenly city in verses 13 through 16, and also there's parts about it, um, the more detail in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 in the next few weeks. But with this promise of an earthly promised land, there's this underlying promise of a richer and eternal inheritance. This, this promised land that Abraham is, that God is calling out Abraham to go to is kind of a placeholder for a greater promise, a more beautiful promise for later on down the line, this heavenly eternity that Abraham is heading, is heading for. So what he's talking about, this, this heavenly city, this city that God is building, we're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, an eternal dwelling place for God's people with him. So we see, if we kind of draw all these things together, Abraham was faithful in the present because of his confidence in what God would do in the future. Abraham was faithful in the present because of his confidence in what God would do in the future. And that is key for us today. And we'll get to that here in a minute. I don't want to steal too much of my thunder from later on. In verse 11, we take a look on down the line. It says that Sarah received the power to conceive. We see in Genesis 18, 10 through 15, when God comes down to visit Abraham and Sarah, God, set, God gives them this beautiful promise that, hey, I'm going to come back to you and you're going to have a son. And, and Sarah laughs in unbelief. She kind of scoffs at that. She overhears this conversation. She kind of scoffs at that. But then we see a beautiful redemption in, in chapter 21 of Genesis, verses 1 through 7. She rejoices in faith. And despite her initial unbelief, she saw that laughter, she saw that laughter redeemed in her son, Isaac, whose name means laughter. So her initial response was, there's no way that could happen. I couldn't have a baby. I'm too old. And then you fast forward a few chapters and here she is naming her son laughter and seeing a beautiful redemption. So that faith enabled redemption, scoffing laughter into joyful laughter, despite her old age, because she considered God faithful because she saw redemption we she saw that faith looks like believing that god will fulfill his promises no matter how impossible it seems and then we see verse 12 let's keep moving through the texture verse 12 we see that there's this promise of descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven and the grains of sand on the seashore that's a direct fulfillment of genesis 22 17 a beautiful promise that god makes to abraham he's saying hey you're going to have lots of kids tons of kids tons of of children and descendants and great-grandchildren and all these different things just like the stars in heaven and just like the sand on the seashore you're going to have lots of beautiful kids but we see in this verse chapter 12 or verse uh, 11 chapter 11 verse 12 of hebrews that god fulfilled exactly what he promised to abraham exactly to a t 100 percent fulfillment so when we kind of zoom back out a little bit zoom away from this text and kind of take it all in concert. We see living by faith in verses 8 through 12 here. We see in verse 8 that Abraham obeyed. Number In verse 9 that Abraham went. And then verse 11 that Sarah conceived. All of these things by faith. And that God was, God was faithful to fulfill his promise. So, if we're kind of drawing this to a point here, God's promise leads to faithful obedience. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But it's important to note also that faith in God's promises doesn't deny difficult circumstances. It, it, just because we are faithful in God's promises and we, we consider him faithful doesn't mean that, we're, that everything in our life is going to be amazing and great and easy and fun. There's always going to be difficulties this side of heaven. Abraham doesn't deny Sarah's old age or his old age. 
His faith doesn't weaken as the years roll on. We don't see him take more concubines or give up in despair. Now, there's some faithfulness, there's, faith, there's some faithful, faithlessness um, in that with Hagar and how that whole situation went, but his faith doesn't weaken as years roll on. He doesn't deny the facts of the matter, but his conviction is that the certainty of God's word outweighs all of those things. That promise and God's faithfulness is what draws him through those difficult times and allows him to persevere. So my question for you this morning, my first question for you this morning, is do you consider God faithful? Do you believe that God is true in what he is saying? Where has God called you? What has he promised you? And what does obedience look like? All of those questions are the same basic theme here. God is faithful, therefore we can obey and step out in faith. So, do you consider God faithful, and what does obedience to that look like? My encouragement to you is to obey by faith, not by white-knuckling, not by peer pressure or by reason or out of desperation. Obey by faith. Obey when you do not know the land you're going to. Obey when you cannot see how the dots connect. Obey because of the faith that you have in the God who is leading you. Obey the God that you know and that you trust. So we've taken a look at living by faith. Let's take a look at dying in faith. That may be an odd transition, but verses 13 through 16, let's read those and see what we can see by not only living in faith, or living by faith, but dying in faith as well. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, dying in faith, verses 13 through 16. So, when it says, these all, when the first couple of words there, these all died in faith, it's talking about all the people in chapter 11 up to this point. So, let's do kind of a quick review from last week we talked about abel who offered an acceptable sacrifice we talked about enoch who pleased god and was taken up into heaven we saw noah who had reverent fear of the lord and was rescued from the ark those things that we're talking those are some of the people that we're talking about and then we just talked about abraham who obeyed and went he was called out and he obeyed and went and followed the lord so verse 13 the first half of verse 13 it says that they died in faith uh, maybe a better way to articulate that, a kind of a clearer way to present that would be that they were faithful even unto death. They, they remained faithful even, even until they died. Not having received, they'd say, the, the, word, the text goes on to say, not having received. They did not receive those promises. They, they embraced the promise, but they didn't, they didn't see it fulfilled in their lifetimes. They only had, so Abraham and, or Abraham and, uh, and Sarah only had one son together, only had one son of promise. And yet, from this one son, from Isaac, a, a multitude of descendants come, as numerous as sand on the seashore, as numerous as stars in the sky. They, but they only saw the one son. They didn't see the complete fulfillment of God's promises. They only got to see their grandchildren, the twins, Jacob and Esau. So out of the multitudes, the sand on the seashore, out of that multitude, they got to see three, their son Isaac and his sons, Jacob and Esau. That's all they got to see. They didn't get to see the fulfillment of that whole promise and then the second half of verse 13 says that they were strangers and strangers and exiles 
This is a theme throughout Scripture that we see kind of developed throughout the whole thing. We can see it um, in Psalms. We can see it in First Peter. There's lots of different places where we talk about strangers and exiles. But I think one thing that we need to know is that God's people inherently are always going to be strangers and exiles on this earth. Even King David, um, the golden age of the monarchy in Israel. He has a palace. It's a beautiful place. He's He's waged war and successfully waged war and defeated lots of foreign enemies, lots of God's enemies, and he is successful and tons of wealth, all these different things. He's a great kingdom, the the golden age of Israel. And he even says in Psalm 39 and in Psalm 119 and a couple other places as well, he even refers to himself as a stranger and an exile. When there's a kingdom and a palace and borders and a standing military and wealth, he says that we're still strangers and exiles. So verses 14 through 16 says that they were seeking a better country, that they considered themselves strangers and exiles, not because of what was going on around them, but because they were seeking a better country, a heavenly country. So brothers and sisters, this land, this earth, is the land that we sojourn in. This earth is our is our. We are strangers and exiles on this earth. It's not some state or country or climate that's, that we're strangers and exiles. It's not like we're United States citizens and then we go visit another country and we're a stranger there or that we are in, we're refugees from a difficult place and we go, we're displaced out of that. It's not that at all. It's not that we're in a temporal sense that way here on earth. What I'm saying is that the entire earth, that we are strangers and exiles here on the entire earth, no matter what country we live in, no matter what climate we live in, no matter where, where we go, we are, consider, we are to consider ourselves strangers and exiles here because, because we are not citizens of this earth. Philippians 3.20 says that we're citizens of heaven, and that's where we should consider our allegiance to. And we might find a considerable amount of joy here. There's a lot of beautiful things about living here in the United States or wherever you may live. There's a lot of beautiful things about living here on the earth. There's lots of great times, especially spring in the Ozarks. Gorgeous. It's awesome. But even the best things can't touch the, the joys of heaven. We're aliens and exiles here, as First Peter 2.11 says. And that should make us hunger with excitement for heaven. As good as earth can be, as amazing as friendships, and like when we all get back together and give each other hugs and maybe handshakes and things like that, depending on how much of a germaphobe you're going to be at that point, that should make us hunger with an expectation of the life to come, of eternal life. Because in Christ, we're guaranteed eternal life. We're not guaranteed joy this side of heaven. We're not guaranteed a lot of you know, self-sufficiency and ease of life and stuff like that this side of heaven. But we're guaranteed eternal life in Christ. And that's what we should put our hope in. So as strangers and exiles seeking a homeland, desiring a better country, we need to realize that God is the one who prepares that place for his people in verse 16. And that God's provision leads us to hope in heaven. That we're not just going to be hoping in everything that we can see and put our hands on here on earth, but that, we are, that God's provision, his preparation for us, leads us to hope in heaven. And that's what we're going to turn to in verses 17 through 22, a hope in the future. Let's take a look. We've talked about living by faith and dying in faith. Let's talk about a hope in the future. So verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, 
offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, which, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's, let's stop right there and kind of see. We'll, we'll keep moving on uh, in the next, take the next couple of verses in a minute. But I want to kind of stop here and make a couple of points. We saw, we're talking about hope in the future here in verses 17 through 22. So verse 17 um, is a throwback to Genesis 22, 1 through 10. It details Abraham's or it details God's instruction to Abraham and his conversation with his servants um, and Isaac um, and the Lord providing a ram, if you know that. Um, go back and read that if you haven't read it recently. Um, but the whole story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham's obedience in that, the conversation that they have there, Go back and refresh yourself. The, the, the miraculous providing of the ram, beautiful, beautiful story. But it says here in the text, by faith, um, Abraham offered up Isaac, even though God's promises and his commands seem contradictory. So we're saying this child of promise, the child through whom all of this the beautiful descendants and the, the beautiful future of Abraham and his family, the, all those promises rest in Isaac, right? He's the only child of promise. And yet now, the command is to sacrifice him, to, to kill him. So Abraham faithfully obeyed, even though God's promises and his commands seem contradictory. In verse 17, there's this unique phrase, his only son. Um, it's not, it's obviously the author of Hebrews knows about Ishmael. We, we know that. Um, it's not his only son. It's more that his unique son, his one of a kind son, his son of promise. So Isaac was the child of promise. Verse 18 references Genesis 21, 12. It highlights the tension of the situation. If Isaac dies, so does the promise. The promise dies with him. But the difference is that Abraham has faith. I think it's common, it's common to talk about faith being proven by action. James 2 21 through 23 says exactly what we're, what we're talking about here when referring to Abraham sacrificing Isaac. This is James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by works. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, faith is proved by works. Abraham is justified by works. Okay, but let's consider that all this that we're talking about, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, all that takes place in Genesis 22. But if we back up to where the first time that we talk about Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness, we say that happens in Genesis 15, many years prior. We see that Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. That relationship that Abraham had with God and the faith that he had in God's promises led him to an extraordinary act of faith and obedience. So the faith that he had was put into action when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. And out of that faith, out of that relationship, Abraham simply obeyed and trusted. He expected the Lord to make sense of it. He and Isaac left their servants, and Abraham had two expectations that were seemingly contradictory. Number one, that he, was, he expected that he was going to sacrifice Isaac like the Lord commanded. And number two, he also expected that he would return with Isaac. So the point here is that Abraham had an assurance of things hoped for, a proof of things unseen, which we see in the first verse of 
chapter 11 that that is faith. The point is that Abraham had faith and a relationship with God already, and his obedience comes out of that faith, not in order to earn or establish it. And then verse 19 continues on that theme that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham's confidence that he would return with Isaac in Genesis 22. I'll read two verses from that. So Genesis 22, 5 says, Then Abraham said to his young men, the servants who were with them, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And then verse 8 comes back. Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Isaac's sitting there saying, we got, this, we got all the supplies for a sacrifice. We got, nothing to, we got nothing to sacrifice, though. What's going on, Dad? What's the deal here? And Abraham responds and says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. We see Abraham's confidence is in the character and the power of God. He doesn't know how to make sense of all these things. The son of promise the sacrifice that's commanded, not sure how those work. I'm going to work forward in faith. I'm going to move forward in faith and see what the Lord will do with them. He has confidence in the power and character of God. So let's skip on down. Let's work back into Hebrews here. Verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the, heads of, over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So verse 20, we talk about future blessings foretold. We talk about Isaac's hope. That's a throwback to Genesis 27, verses 27 through 29. It says, um, this, is, this is Isaac um, talking, this is Isaac's uh, story of Isaac here. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son as is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. It's a beautiful blessing from Isaac to his son Jacob. Then we see Jacob, Jacob's hope. Um, evidence in his blessings on his grandchildren, the Joseph's children. So you have Abraham, who has son, his son Isaac, and Isaac, who has his sons Jacob and Esau. And then we're talking about Jacob's lineage there. Jacob has 12 children, 12 sons. And then we see um, Isaac blessing his grandchildren. There, there we go. I'm just making sure I got it, got it right in my head. Blessing, um, uh, sorry, Jacob Jacob blessing his his grandchildren, I should say. Yeah. Um, we see that in Genesis 48, the last part of Genesis 48. We see all these blessings of greatness, um, the, this promise of going to the promised land, that, that, his, that um, Jacob's grandchildren are going to be inhabiting the promised land. They're going to be having a future there, all these really cool things. That's all, in verse, it's all kind of referred to in verse 21. But let's dial into verse 22 here. Verse 22, talking about these blessings. In Genesis 50, the last part of Genesis 50, verses 22 through 26, we see that Joseph asks that his bones be carried to the promised land. Um, so he's, he's residing outside of the promised land. He's residing in, in Egypt. He's asking that his bones be carried to the promised land. And this only makes sense. Um, this, this only makes sense if he believes that God's promises that his descendants will inhabit the promised land will come true. Joseph is saying, I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm almost to the point of death. I'm going to die here in Egypt. 
But he's saying, he's leaving a command for his descendants to say, dig up my bones and take them to Israel with me. Take them to the promised land because I know you're going to be there. I know you're going there eventually. Take my body, take my bones and take them with you. That's what he's saying. And then we see 400 years later, 400 years later, much older than the United States. 400 years later, the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea. They'd received the law on Mount Sinai. They had eaten manna and quail. They had wandered in the desert. And eventually, they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they carried Joseph's bones with them. So after the conquest, during the settling of the land, they buried Joseph's bones at Shechem. You can see that in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. That is a hope in the future. That is acting out and blessing and living in the promises of God and having a hope in the future. So we see that theme woven through verses 17 through 22. We see a hope in the future that Abraham received Isaac back, that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and that Jacob blessed his sons and his grandchildren, and that Joseph gave instructions for his bones. The whole idea of that is that God's faithfulness gives us hope for the future. It gives us hope in the blessings that he's going to provide us, and it gives us hope in the resurrection to come. So we've, working through this text, we've looked back um, at faithfulness. We've looked back at the different aspects of faithfulness, of living in faith and dying in faith and things like that. Let's look forward and hope. Let's see, let's kind of recap and kind of draw this to a little bit of a close here. So a couple of points. The first one, recapping verses 8 through 12, we see that hope and faith drive obedience and action because God is the one who is faithful. Because of God's faithfulness and promises, we can faithfully obey, even when it seems impossible. Marriages can be reconciled. People can be freed from addictions and enslavement. We've just recently published um, a handful of videos of people's personal psalms about how God has redeemed them from certain situations that are on our YouTube channel. Go look at those. Go thumb through those and, and, and see what's going on there. Hear the stories of God and the promises of God and the deliverance of God in those personal psalms. They're beautiful testimonies of how God has saved us. And even from the most difficult things, God has saved us from addictions, from enslavement, from all kinds of trouble, all kinds of unforgiveness. So even when it seems impossible, because of God's faithfulness and promises, we can faithfully obey and then the next aspect of that is because god has prepared a place for his people we can faithfully hope in heaven we see abraham's inheritance was a land he didn't know where he was going he had no idea where he was going to end up but our inheritance as christians as you and my our inheritance and abraham's as well but our inheritance is salvation and we can look back and say we do know where we're headed we do know what god has promised we do know that heaven awaits us so our inheritance is a little bit different than the Abraham is looking forward, not knowing. But we can look back at the promises of God and know exactly where we are headed. Because God's faithfulness gives us hope in the resurrection and blessings, we can faithfully live. And I would also encourage you, just like with Abraham, don't see your faith in difficult circumstances at odds. Christian, don't see your faith and your difficult circumstances at odds. I think it's a good thing to acknowledge the difficulties that you face, not complain about them, but to just acknowledge them and to say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how my difficult marriage is going to be resolved. 
I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. I don't know how we're going to pay bills and all these different things. And yet, it's not a faithless thing to say, I don't know. It's a faithless thing to turn your back on God and be bitter at him. The faithful response is, I don't know, but I still trust. So acknowledge the difficulties that you face without complaining. And then also be convinced that the certainty of God's word outweighs them. Just like with Abraham. Abraham was convinced that the promises of God far outweighed the doubts and the questions that he had. And the the lack of knowledge that he had. So acknowledge your difficult marriage. Acknowledge your difficult circumstances. Acknowledge your sin. But see Jesus as better. See Jesus as better. Of course you're a sinner in need of grace and mercy. We all are. Of course life is difficult. And of course there's a host of complications in the world this side of eternity. There's a lot of sin out there. and There's a lot of splatter from it. There's a lot of junk flying around. And you're going to get hit by it at some time. Because this world is broken. But also, Christian, realize that you have an advocate in Christ. That you have the Holy Spirit inside of you leading you to be faithful and obedient. And also, understand, Christian, you're not going to find eternal fulfillment this side of eternity. But the beauty of the gospel is that the promises of God far outweigh all of those disappointments, all of those hurts, and all of those fears. All of those promises are way much heavier in the balance than all of those disappointments and any brokenness this side of eternity. If you want to flip that concept on its head, that faith is what drives obedience let's take the negative aspect of it that faithlessness is what drives disobedience because you view god as untrustworthy we don't trust him with our lives we don't believe that he's good we'd rather trust in what feels good or what seems good to us than what he has revealed it's very it's very reminiscent of adam and eve in the garden of eden they trusted a lie they trusted themselves over the lord they trusted a serpent to tell them what they didn't need to know so if faith drives obedience and faithlessness drives disobedience we have sort of an operating rubric to work from now we can start kind of seeing how to make decisions and what to do so faith drives obedience and also faith will result in obedience it's not enough to just say that you believe you must start obeying you know you must respond in obedience and your faith must bear fruit and hear me very clearly i'm not saying you earn your faith you earn your salvation i'm not saying that at all what i am saying is your faith will bear fruit in time or your faithful faithlessness will bear fruit in time one or the other we will see i would also say that your faith is also based in your relationship with christ you can trust the lord and obey because you know him and trust him so Let's kind of back it up to another application question. What does your obedience or your disobedience say about your relationship with the Lord? What does your obedience or disobedience say about your relationship with the Lord? My encouragement is that you would draw near to him and trust him and step out in faith and obedience and draw nearer to the Lord in doing so. So that's verses 8 through 12. Let's take a look at verses 13 through 16. Not only do hope and faith drive obedience in action, they also enable us to remain faithful until we die. So we're, we're not only, we are only experiencing a foretaste right now of what's to come. 
We have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. We have spiritual gifts, and we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, but we are far from finished, brothers and sisters. We are strangers and exiles here, and we too desire a better country, a heavenly eternity. But we also know that God is not ashamed to be called our God. And these are all because of Christ. All of these things are because of Christ, that we have been saved by the blood of Christ, and he has bought, he's brought us from the domain of darkness into his kingdom of light, and that Christ has made a way for us to come home. Christ has also atoned for us and interceded for us, so our Father in heaven is not ashamed of us or disappointed in us. He delights in us, and he rejoices over us, and he, he joyfully receives us because of Jesus. And this is a hope that endures. It stays with us throughout our lives. And it never leaves us because Christ never leaves us. That's how we remain faithful to the point of death. Christ has taken hold of us and he will not let us go. So we need to take hold of him and never let him go. And then recapping verses 17 through 22, we see that faith allows us to look forward to confidently bless others and look forward to heaven as well. So because of the promises of God, because of God's faithfulness, because of Christ in us, we can serve, we can use resources for the glory of God, and we can joyfully bless others in this world. All because we have faith that there's a greater reality coming for us. We don't need to hold on to our stuff. We don't need to protect and defend everything that we have. We can say joyfully, yeah, this is not our stuff. This is something that God's blessed us with, and we're going to use it for his glory. So just like the parable of the talents, we can be faithful servants and make wise investments this side of heaven, knowing that our master is returning and is expecting that we have been faithful and obedient. This is why we make disciples. This is why we steward resources wisely. This is why we proclaim the gospel boldly. We want to be a blessing to this world while we look forward to an eternity in heaven. And so I think a, a really good quote that I've been meditating on the last um, few hours or so is from Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So just like the wise servants, we can look forward to that day with eager anticipation to the return of our master, knowing that because we lived in faith and made much of Jesus with our lives on earth, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. I'll leave you with one concluding thought. One of my favorite hymns is Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry. But the second verse says, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, every morning new mercies I see. And all I have needed thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me.